The partnership between hospitals and pharmacies is an essential link for quality patient care. As the national healthcare industry faces a major medicine shortage, pharmacies and hospitals are both struggling to find solutions. So, how do hospitals and contracted pharmacies work together to provide for patient needs? With collaboration among healthcare organizations, increased public awareness, and an active search for attainable solutions. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm JJ Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 130 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. All right, Rachel, today our guest is an expert in clinical performance, uh, and his work makes a significant difference for pharmacies and hospitals across the country. Uh, today, we're talking about the current medicine shortage and how the multifaceted healthcare industry is searching for solutions. And we know every day uh, as we get those reports, uh, Mm -hmm. industry leading reports of this exact challenge. But you know what? We've conquered some of that here at Hillsdale. Yes. And we will get into all of that today with our guest who is well-versed in pharmaceutical issues and regularly helps hospitals and pharmacies work together to improve patient care. Our guest today is Joseph Dula, Executive Vice President of Clinical Services at CPS in Dublin, Ohio. And we want to welcome you for the very first time to Rural Health Rising. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. So to start, Joe, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your work at CPS? Thanks. So I am a pharmacist by background. I've worked in this industry, that of consulting pharmacy for, uh, I think, going on 17 years now. And I did uh, graduate, get my doctorate of pharmacy from Ohio State University, board certified in pharmacotherapy. I did go back and get my MBA in 2017 to kind of expand um, you know, my horizons and to be able to help out more on the business side and more specifically uh, personnel management. I identified that as a gap and uh, thought that that could be helpful to myself and the organization moving forward. Uh, my wife is also a pharmacist. She's a professor at one of the Big Ten universities in their college of pharmacy. Um, and I have two children. I have a 13-year-old son named JJ, and I have a seven-year-old daughter named Adeline. Um, I like to read and um, I'm a big college football fan, so really excited for uh, the season to get underway. Wow. Well, wait, who is your team? Being in Ohio, Ohio is it an Ohio yeah, team yeah. or no? It's, it's Ohio State, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, with, well, with the, we're going uh, cl- to close. Are uh, you legally allowed to say? Close the podcast are you prayer. legally allowed to say Ohio State without saying the Ohio State? The, I thought that was uh, the Ohio State. Uh, the I would official. like to think... I would like to think that the uh, the paper on the wall allows me to say what I want to say, but who knows? They may come after me when they hear it. Say it. Right? <laughs> it dep- I mean, after the way that the quarterback yes, played this right. past yes, week, be... uh, I can I can say it however I want. Yeah, they may come <laughs> after that certificate. Well, we will send this to them there after it's yeah, done. Yeah, we'll so. I'll send it directly awesome. to the trademark office yeah, over there. Exactly. So. Sounds good. Someone. Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, Joe, so so uh, now that we've established who you are and what you do individually there at the company and the contributions that you make uh, across, you know, your pharmacies, I, I want to focus on a question that we ask each of our guests, and it's a simple question. It's a why. Um, and I, I want to know what motivates Joe 
what gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the work that you do, uh, which in today's economy and in today's time is pretty difficult. So what's your why? I think that's a fantastic question. Um, definitely uh, caught up pretty closely to Simon Sinek and the, the teachings that he puts out for that. And we like to distribute this idea of what's your why mm-hmm. um, to our associates as well. Um, I do have responsibility for our clinical Good. program development. So that's the support function, the people that are bringing resources to bear, um, our purchasing department, some outcomes work, um, and then our field clinicians, which is how I started with this organization. And that really draws me back to the why is that um, when I came in contact with organizations like CPS, it was really their ability to affect change on a one-to-many approach. So I found out early on that while I do uh, appreciate the role that a pharmacist and healthcare individuals can play in the individual patient's life, um, I I was really looking more towards process improvement, uh, really got excited from an interprofessional collaboration Mm -hmm. perspective. How do we advance the pharmacist in the role on the medication team? How do we get physicians and nurses comfortable with the care plan? Um, And really, lastly, bringing resources and being able to see the difference. So to be lucky enough to uh, be in a seat where we can implement process changes to many, many hospitals, um, the ones that we work with, you know, coast to coast, and to see the fruits of that labor and to look back after two, three years at the enterprise that the hospital is able to create um, and know that your organization had a hand in that, um, that idea of progression and constantly getting better is very fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. It's a great why. So, Joe, let's talk a little bit about the regulation of pharmaceutical costs and supply. So we know that there is a drug shortage right now um, for some specific items. Um, Can you give us kind of uh, an overview of what those are, what's going on, what is this drug shortage, but also what are some of the primary influencing factors behind it and what do healthcare professionals need to know and understand? Well, I mean, I think the the number one thing that healthcare professionals need to know and understand is is not going anywhere. It's likely to get worse before it gets better, and it's going to be something that we have to deal with for quite some time. Um, knowing that, if we're really looking to try to figure out the reasons behind, if there was a way to get ahead of it, uh, you're going to have your supply issues. You're going to have your recalls. Um, I think more than ever over the last couple of years, we've been faced with cost of materials and cost of labor challenges um, as we follow general economics of of the country that we live in. Um, And then when you combine that with plant shutdowns, I I think that is really what takes it from um, a a medium-sized problem to a really big problem really fast. Um, So whether the plant got shut down because of product concerns from some type of audit or evaluation or a natural disaster like we had in North Carolina uh, with their plant, um, I think that is that is the catalyst, if you will, uh, where we'll be at a steady state with um, supply issues and shortages and kind of being able to manage it. And then something significant will happen. And then everyone is scrambling. Um, the key from my perspective is just being ready to respond. So you can try 
everything to predict what direction this is going to go. But if you have systematic processes in place, your policies and procedures, and most importantly, your communication between your providers, I can't undersell the importance of that, making sure that your team knows that they have individual components of that team that are all working towards trying to solve these problems, you know, that'll get you a long way and to be able to mitigate some of the challenges that are faced um, from that perspective. I think you do also face some problems like single source, whether it's a single source generic or a single source branded product, mm -hmm. because then should something happen mm -hmm. to that one, you don't have a fallback to go on that is immediately substitutable. I think that's a great place to deploy your pharmacists, your expertise in the pharmaceutical industry, potentially your contract services in order to be able to propose therapeutic alternatives. So items that match the product that's on shortage from a safety efficacy, and then trying to mitigate that cost, maybe it'll be less expensive, more than likely there'll be a little bit of a markup for you to procure that product. But really the pharmacy mm -hmm. department is the best place to go to, to find out, do we have anything else that could, we could use um, you know, to fill this gap? It might not be immediately substitutable according to FDA regulations, but using clinical knowledge mm -hmm. and review of pharmacology, uh, we might be able to service the patient um, it, with similar efficacy. Yeah. Let's talk about the context of your work, just so those listening will understand. All right. What is the relate CPS, JJ? You know, what is that relationship to Hillsdale Hospital? Um, first, I, I want to state that you are one of our partners uh, and that you provide services. But I want you just to baseline. What does that mean? Someone listening today uh, across the country who doesn't have this type of arrangement, talk to us about what it is that you do, and then I'm going to uh, follow it up with one of my questions. I love that question. Love the opportunity to talk about the the work that we do, and and I really love the word partner. I'm I'm glad you were selective in that because that's really what we want to be. The idea that we're bringing solutions, we're listening to the needs of the hospital, and we're being that thinking partner to try to help solve problems. So, in the Hillsdale case, uh, we serve as the pharmacy management company. What that means is that we make sure that we have leadership that's properly trained properly licensed, and we will review the general operations of the hospital pharmacy um, and not only make sure that it's meeting the standards of regulatory bodies, but how do we exceed those and how do we bring best practices to bear? Um, the analogy is getting a little bit outdated, but those that would remember the um, cell phone commercial where there was one individual standing there and then there was a network of people behind them, that's really what we like to think that we bring yeah. to bear. So uh, there's another division of my organization that handles operations, and there's another division that handles regulatory compliance, and another division that does specialty pharmacy. So it's great that we don't have one team that needs to have all of the answers. We can have these other groups parachute in and support not only the pharmacists, the director of pharmacy, but the nursing staff and the physicians of Hillsdale Hospital and bringing those resources, whether it's staying up to date on current regulations, things that come about that are new, bringing cost savings uh, opportunities to the hospital. Um, and the, the idea that we have hundreds of hospitals that we work with coast to coast means that most of the time, I would say, you know, 99% of the time, when we're bringing a program or policy and procedure or idea or initiative to Hillsdale Hospital, we've seen it work other places. 
So obviously someone has to be on the leading edge, mm -hmm. but we're deploying these strategies in hospitals all across the nation. And then once we find out what works, what are the barriers, we're able to refine that approach. And then we'll be able to bring solutions to Hillsdale Hospital and other similar um, opportunities in healthcare. Yeah, a very effective model, and it allows for a lot of bench strength uh, that your organization brings to Hillsdale, and just the idea uh, of understanding that you're, you know, across this country, and you're in pharmacies a lot bigger and some smaller uh, than Hillsdale, but that you can bring best practices uh, and and just some quality candidates uh, to the table for us to ensure that we're taking good care of our patients. Now, I want to tease out a little bit more about what Rachel talked about in terms of shortage, uh, because it is of a major concern uh, among hospitals across this country. And, you know, we talk about it. I'm on the Michigan Hospital Association Board. Uh, we talk about this very issue. And it, it really, uh, it's it's important for us to, to grasp what's really going on here. And so, uh, you know, as you're working closely with the pharmacies and uh, connected providers, uh, and I guess I want to know a little bit about what have you witnessed uh, in terms of the impact of this shortage on the healthcare industry as a whole. Uh, don't just talk about Hillsdale or, you know, companies in Ohio, but truly talk about it as, as an industry as a whole. And uh, I guess most importantly, we got to focus on the patient, right? Uh, what has happened, you know, as a result of the shortage for our patients in, in communities? Yeah, there's a lot of depth there, and I hope I do it justice. Um, you know, I want to start by saying that healthcare is a very challenging field, and the folks that dedicate their careers and their lives um, in that space, you know, really don't often get the credit that they deserve, um, especially for what happens on a day to day basis, literally taking patients' lives into their hands. So, whether it is physician, nursing, pharmacist, uh, respiratory therapist, whatever. Um, whatever mm -hmm. uh, discipline we're, we're working with in a collaborative manner, um, it's a tough job. And medication shortages end up being something that interrupts that tough job and makes it a little bit more difficult. So um, when you start talking about the additional workload needed to source and dispense these products, um, you can plan all you want and you can have that grid that says product A and product B and, and we're good with either one. Um, but somebody has to find that that product, find that source and figure out how to do it. And then um, this was early on mm -hmm. in my career um, when I was uh, very excited to do, you know, 15 and 20 interchanges because it was going to save the hospital money. And we had counter detailed all the pharmaceutical industry and everything was good to go. And then our director, who I had a lot of respect for um, at the time, pulls me aside and says, Joe, do you realize that there are 15 steps? This was probably six or seven years ago. 15 steps that I have to take every time you do a therapeutic interchange. I have to make sure that that NDC is loaded into the computer. Wow. I have to make sure that yeah. it's stocked into the automated dispensing cabinetry. We have to make sure that the nursing staff and those that are um, you know, loading the product are familiar with it and that patient education is there. So for me, it was just a, an A to B and you know, poof, there we go. We did something that was great for the hospital and everybody involved, but yeah. the steps that it takes. And, and I think of that whenever I think of shortages is 
we're interrupting the patient care flow. We're interrupting the normal business day of that director of pharmacy, of those pharmacists, of those nurses to make a change that they may not have been ready for. And that's where I mentioned that the communication is so yeah. important. So, um, you know, the, the cost of the alternative is definitely something that we have to be considerate of and make good choices. But patient and provider comfort it, it really mm-hmm. supersedes that. Um, you have to be in a scenario where the physician is aware of the alternative. You have to be in a situation where all of the team members feel comfortable articulating to the patient, this is just as good as the product that you've been taking for four years, you know, sometimes 24 years. Um, and, and I think that those are, those are the behind-the-scenes things that happen that I don't necessarily think all of the healthcare team, physician, nursing, pharmacist, um, doesn't get enough credit for from a response to shortages. Uh, usually finance is top of mind and it's very important, especially in today's environment that we make fiscally sound decisions. Um, but we really have to make sure that everybody's on the same page because it only takes one to instill doubt in that patient and then you're, mm-hmm. you're in a situation which mm-hmm. could be potentially uncomfortable or um, did we properly advise the patient if the side effect profile is just a little bit different? So um, it's, it's a lot from a uh, workload perspective and you know, really making sure that your pharmacy, your pharmacy leaders and your pharmacists are integrally involved in that conversation can not only prevent missteps, uh, but can make the process smoother for everybody. Absolutely. So as you're talking about this, um, you know, finding when there's a shortage of a certain medication, finding something that can be a viable substitute, even if it's not a one-to-one, like you said, how likely is it that then you create a squeeze on those products and then those items start to fall into a shortage? I mean, is it is the manufacturing side of it nimble enough for some of those things to do for them to be able to account for that? Or, or do we just kind of have to shift around from what's currently shortest when there's some primary ones that are really short across the country? That's a great observation. Um, and if, as far as the manufacturing industry, I would say no. Um, usually they're not nimble enough. Uh, because a lot of this is is a surprise to them as well. So the idea of them being able to ramp up production, mm-hmm. uh, unless you have surplus somewhere, um, but it, it's it's a valid point. That's the first thing that we look at, right? Is what are the alternatives? If we think a product is going short, can we go ahead and grab that? And it ends up being a snowball effect, um, and and that's where the constant vigilance comes in. Mm-hmm. You hope that you don't dry up the well on product B before product A is able to return to the market. Um, And I I feel like a broken record here, but Mm -hmm. that's where the communication comes in. If you do not have a solid working relationship between medicine and pharmacy, how are you going to weather a scenario where you could get two products and flip-flop back and forth. Hopefully, you're not doing it any frequently than monthly, but you could be in a scenario where every other day you have something different. I think back to when we had a shortage of antiemetics, um, and there's a lot of products out there that have mm. different side effect profiles but could still do the job, and it was a race to try to get what you could get. And the hospitals that were able to um, provide good care were the ones that had done their diligence and convinced um, everybody that we were working together as a team, 
Um, and that it wasn't just uh, running into the grocery store and picking what was last on the shelf. It was going through and being prescriptive about we think that these are viable alternatives and, and making sure that we had something to treat these patients' nausea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back to a time well before you because you look like you're in your, your early 20s. Um, Gosh, so I there was a time <laughs> in which the local... Absolutely. It's the least I could do. Uh, back in the time when they had dime stores, uh, they used to have pharmacies, uh, that pharmacists that would uh, give, you know, medical advice. And, you know, the pharmacist was well regarded. In in parts of rural communities today, that still is happening. I mean, the pharmacist is like right there with the school superintendent and, you know, the, the just absolutely well-known and well-regarded. And uh, families go in and would ask a question, oh, I got this thing going on here. What do you recommend? And I've been losing my voice. And there's a relationship that has been built between pharmacist and the patient. And that's, that is very, very important. Um, and, and so my question to you is looking outside of the obviously um, the role of a pharmacist in a clinical setting. Um, you know, how does a patient's pharmacy, uh, the, the, the person who delivers, you know, that medication that's been prescribed, uh, make a difference in the kind of health care that they receive? In other words, um, you know, I guess you could give examples of the ways in which uh, pharmacists and pharmacies, uh, you know, go beyond just that understanding of handing out the script, you know, like it's production, uh, to actually focusing on an important initiative of hospitals across the country, and that's quality. You know, that's patient satisfaction and, and ensuring that the highest level of quality care is administered. I know that's a loaded question, but uh, I, I got you right up here at the tee box, so go right ahead. Well, I do appreciate the opportunity to advocate. Uh, One of the things that I am passionate about is the search for provider status, if you will. That's the way that they've labeled it. Um, I think that that's a little bit aggressive in tone. Um, Really, it is more about shifting pharmacy from being uh, what it is currently, a transactional provider. Um, You know, your, your classic business example of widgets. Um, and migrating that to more of a, an intellectual mm-hmm. capital type of broker. And uh, as you said, the, mm-hmm. the, the person that's giving the advice, the trusted advisor, um, independent pharmacy tends to be pretty solid in that area. That's probably um, what you were thinking yeah, of. I think does. that yeah. it is still true that pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare provider um, even in rural areas, just from um, being able to walk into the corner drugstore or, as you said, somebody that you've known in the community for years. Um, I think the, the problem that we're facing um, is, is a labor one. So we're, we're excited that pharmacists are doing more on the biometric side. We're excited that pharmacists are doing more on the testing side. Um, so that was one thing that... Um, Pharmacy did a phenomenal job of, of stepping up to the plate, to use your analogy, um, when COVID hit, um, because how else are you going to get uh, millions and millions of people access to testing supplies um, and then subsequently accessing access to vaccinations? Um, the thing that, that that puts the squeeze mm-hmm. on is if you're not properly allocating time um, and labor and staffing levels. There's no way to keep up with the demand on all those things and still 
be that person that mm-hmm. has 20, 25 minutes to have a conversation with the patient and try to elucidate, you know, what it is that they need on that particular day. And when you combine that with the idea that, um, you know, the folks that are used to accessing pharmacy as a transactional basis, uh, occasionally you're the barrier in their day, right? They're leaving work. They've got to go pick up kids. They've got to figure out what's going to mm-hmm. happen with dinner. They've got to, you know, go ahead and take care of, you know, maybe, maybe their parents and, and figure out what's going on. And the pharmacy trip uh, is a barrier to them getting to the rest of them. And that's not a conducive environment for medication mm-hmm. teaching. So being able to have by appointment visitation with the pharmacist or being able to structure something where the learner can take on that information is very important. Um, And that is really the heart, in my opinion, of the provider status movement is getting pharmacists recognized through Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, getting recognized at the state level. I'm very, very lucky um, that state of Ohio has has great collaborative practice agreement laws in place to expand the scope of care and to get pharmacists really functioning at the top of their license. And I do think that we need to be very disciplined um, about where that line is, right? We are the medication experts. We should be advising patients on the medications that they're t- taking and mm-hmm. looking for o- opportunities to optimize their care um, you know, a lot of folks aren't aware that uh, all of the pharmacy schools in the country now have moved to a doctorate level program. So you need to have a four year bachelor's yes, degree true. before well, you can mm-hmm. go in. And that advanced level of training really equips every pharmacist, um, the hospital pharmacists, the pharmacists that are working at the corner drugstores and independents, the major chains. Uh, They've been trained by these pharmacy schools to look for medication-related problems and to counsel people through those medication-related problems. And and I think that, um, you know, for the profession to advance, uh, for us to do better from a healthcare perspective, we have to leverage the expertise of those folks uh, in all of those seats. You know, uh, one of the focus areas for us has been uh, looking at some med rec and, uh, you know, medicine reconciliation, ensuring, uh, you know, proper dosage and distribution of medicine. And, and you know, that, that's that been a huge focus of CPS to ensure that your techs and your pharmacist and, and, and making sure that ensuring that programs exist uh, where that is actually uh, strictly complied with. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I want to commend CPS and your efforts of quality uh, and, you know, how that impacts the, the level of quality that the overall hospital is able to perform because of partners like you. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's a passion of yours or if you find your home in, in quality as you know, just really where your sweet spot is. Um, I could assume from talking with you that that may be one of the areas. But, you know, talk about, if you would, that relationship in hospitals, about what accountability that you're putting in place to ensure, you know, proper dosage and medication. Yeah, I think that um, it was it was assumed early on that the um, implementation of electronic health records um, and the like w- would implement a system of checks and balances that would obviate the need for a robust medication reconciliation program. 
Um, but at the end of the day, there's still a human element that's involved. Um, and yes, I think that's where mm-hmm. you really need to connect the dots um, and to lean on the other team members that you have. So not placing all of the responsibility on the nursing staff, not placing the responsibility on the physician staff and not coming through, you, you know, the, the sticker carrot method, right? It's the, the idea that let's use the pharmacy department for what they're good at. And, and that's taking the training mm-hmm. that those individuals have uh, and optimizing medication regimens. I think the, the idea that Joint Commission, HVAP, state yeah. regulatory bodies require the medication reconciliation to happen at the different levels of care um, throughout that continuum is, is really smart. And the hospitals that are doing right. it right are engaging all of their experts in whatever capacity they can. Um, now, I, I think that uh, Hillsdale Hospital, your administration yourself, need to um, give yourselves a pat on the back for making that a priority and and not you know refusing to staff appropriately or um, you know saying well we we've got mm-hmm. our nurses that that are going to be responsible and bear the brunt of that um, you know being able to collaborate as a team mm-hmm. is is the best outcome for the patient um, uh, as far as it being a passion area for mine I, I think I think we could be doing more I think the concept of disease state management. Uh, from an outpatient clinic perspective and how we get pharmacists um, really to work arm in arm at the primary care level. So the idea of a physician extender um, mm-hmm. is really leading edge right now. Um, and as with much everything else, reimbursement is, drives that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that, that MedRec uh, is an incredible safety net um, and it would it would be very eye opening to the general public if um, if if you simply aggregated all the times where a pharmacist or a nurse or or a physician or somebody was double checking somebody else's work um, and, and they found um, you know mm-hmm. uh, an oversight or um, you know sometimes it's not even uh, not even a mistake right you know we we all have uh, patients and people in our lives that are seeing multiple providers, right? You've got a cardiologist, you've got a gastroenterologist, mm-hmm. you've got, um, I don't know, take your pick, uh, um, your, your primary care physician. If you don't have robust technology in place and people to oversee that, how are you going to ensure that the story is told? You cannot rely mm-hmm. on a person that's sick. That they can't be the historian. You have to have some other uh, right. other plan in place right. to make sure that the cardiologist starts a medication, and the primary care physician is aware of it, and the um, the oncologist is aware of it, and and those types of things. Uh, you can have technology assist in that, um, but you do have to have somebody that's a traffic conductor. You sure do. You sure do. And a great job that you all do in making sure that quality is adhered to for patients like here at Hillsdale Hospital. So uh, thank you for your efforts in doing that. What would you say um, makes your work with a rural hospital like Hillsdale, because this is Rural Health Rising after all, um, unique compared to working with maybe larger hospitals or health systems? Uh, What does that look like in a rural setting compared to those other urban and suburban areas? 
We get that question a lot um, because we have such a diverse client base. And I can, you know, when at the top of the discussion here, it was, you know, what's your why? Uh, one of the reasons why I've stayed with the organization in the way that I have is I can honestly say that we have a customized approach. We identify the fact that, um, you know, a thousand bed level one trauma center has different needs than a hundred bed local community hospital. Um, and the idea of resources and scale and all of those questions need to be balanced. And the, the clinicians that I work with and the, and the folks that we try to recruit need to understand that it is a dialogue and it is a trusted partner conversation. And just because it's worked at one organization doesn't mean that you can just pick it up and drop it into the next organization and expect success that the idea that you know the you know it works is very comfort, comforting but you still mm -hmm. have to identify mm -hmm. stakeholders you still have to figure out what the barriers are in place and you still have to manage change appropriately and i think that is um, one of the mm -hmm. most compelling reasons in my mind um, to use a, a contract pharmacy service uh, like cps is because the folks that i work with this is all we do every day we, we build customized solutions mm -hmm. for the hospital, meet the hospitals where they're at, uh, and, and really try to stack hands and have a collective ownership to get it done. When we talk about medication shortages, um, it's, it's unfortunate to admit that hospitals in a rural area are at some significant points of disadvantage. Um, so you talk about the distance to a major wholesaler location. You talk about the way that a wholesaler service mm -hmm. rep might be incentivized to call on uh, facilities in their time of need. Are you working with a wholesaler that is going to prioritize your needs equally to somebody that orders 30 times as much product as you do? Um, I think that the point of care is important. Mm -hmm. um, the concept of allocation is one that is vitally necessary to a wholesaler um, but does put a rural hospital standalone, even one that's part of a small system, at a strategic disadvantage because allocation works on um, trying to get to a point of equity. And that point of equity is totally irrelevant if you have one patient that can't get their care. And I think that's where the concept of, of allocation is, is problematic. Um, but it is something that, that we all have to deal with. As a smaller rural hospital tries to work and to develop substitutes for systemization, uh, combating the concept of volume and, and still being able to deliver quality of care. Um, I think that is an area where uh, I'm happy to say that CPS has placed some emphasis in the sharing of resources, the, the idea of establishing a network for facilitated sharing of information, uh, what works and what doesn't work, and, and to be able to keep that dialogue going. The last point that I want to make in that mm -hmm. space is uh, we have the advantage of being agnostic to wholesaler. Um, so we work with all of the major wholesalers and we're fortunate that our uh, mm -hmm. procurement purchasing analysts who do a great job every day monitoring for these types of things, um, they get to see uh, inventory levels and they get to see how these other wholesalers are behaving with respect to a, a, a particular product. Um, and I would assert that unless they have some other way of doing it, even the major, major hospital systems, they're really only looking at one wholesaler. 
So the ability to look across yeah. the networks and across the different vendors, we like to think that, that we're placing a, uh, a more direct eye on what's going on and to try to bring uh, that information to the rural hospital a- as quickly as possible. Um, but I, I just, I, I really think that the idea of a customized approach um, is really vital. And, and any rural hospital that's looking for, um, you know, a thinking partner in that area needs to look for a provider that is going to customize their approach um, and is going to share that accountability and, and really work arm in arm to deliver uh, on the shared goals of the facility. Yeah, one of the other areas that I want to really discuss real quick is not only, you know, in the space of ensuring great patient care and outcomes and high quality, uh, you're also working with the individual hospital administration as it relates to a lot of our community hospitals operate self-funded insurance plans. Portion of that plan is uh, engaged in obviously uh, therapy, uh, what we would call step therapy, and looking at some of the things that are involved in reducing the cost for those hospitals because they're self-funded, and so everything is you know coming right out of the pockets of those hospitals as they're paying for those. And so those costs can be very high. And it can really, you know, if you have a two or three cases, significant cases uh, in a year, um, it can really impact the outcome of, of your hospital's finances uh, negatively. Um, and as a result, can really establish, you know, for your third-party administrator and other things, some pretty bad years uh, and could impact you in getting, you know, better rates into the future. All that said... One of the things that your company does that I appreciate is working with my HR director, and you worked with me when I was uh, vice president here in over human resources, to ensure that when our patients are in need of a drug that is expensive, that we can look at other drug alternatives um, in working with our providers and the patient, which is our employee. Now, many times the employee says, well, the doctor wrote this, I got to have it. Well, no, we need to explore this other option. Um, And I think that's an important step. And if you're listening today and you're a hospital CEO or an administrator and, and you're looking at claims data right now that is extremely high from previous years because of meds, you really need to look at a company like CPS that can come in and work with you on, all right, are we, are we maximizing programs, you know, that can provide services to, let's say, cancer patients? And are we engaged in therapy, step therapies that are really going to look at, you know, are there alternatives uh, in generic drugs to the name brand drug, drugs that let's be honest, pharmaceuticals are knocking on doors of of physician offices every week and bringing the Panera bread and the the pastas and having conversations about, you know, let's use this one. And it's really your job to be the gatekeeper. So when you say you're agnostic, I understand and appreciate that, but you're also the gatekeeper for hospital administration like ours. You want to talk just a little bit about that? Sure. I can try to, uh, I can try to distill that into an area that, that I'm pretty comfortable with. I think that, um, one of the areas of pharmacy that lacks one-stop shopping is medication assistance programs. And the idea that um, every pharmaceutical company could have their own um, and it could have different roles, or, sorry, mm-hmm. different rules and different um, requirements. Mm-hmm. And those requirements can change on a pretty frequent basis. So 
Um, our CPS CARES program does go after uh, medication assistance plans. Um, but beyond that, just being aware and having that facilitated sharing of information about what is out there and which patients qualify um, it even extends into the hospital setting. There are pharmaceutical companies that offer replacement programs. Um, so to be able to take advantage yes, of mm -hmm. all of those ways that are out there to help defray the cost. Um, but it, it, if, uh, if, if I can weather it, the storm here and mention it again, it, it is about the dialogue. It is about the communication. And you mentioned uh, patient comfort and to be able to identify whether or not that drug is going to meet safety, efficacy, and then cost is really what should govern those discussions. Um, there are tons and tons of programs that are out there that can help Agreed. defray the costs and make it more palatable for uh, individual hospitals. Um, mm -hmm. But you are potentially introducing a problem if while there is an inpatient for you or upon their discharge, um, you provide them with one product and they either do not understand that it's an alternative or, um, you know, God forbid they start taking the mm -hmm. other one again. Um, now they're paying for both or, you know, yeah. both are prescribed. That's where the med rec comes right. in. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very important uh, for them to have those transitions of care and, and to be in a scenario where they are seeing mm -hmm. their primary care provider, but someone is reviewing their medication history to make sure that you haven't introduced mm -hmm. a substitute um, and that they have a clean record there uh, of what they're supposed to be taking. Um, and, and just being able to um, align all of those different issues and, and make it uh, an, an environment where we bring clarity to the patient, clarity to administration, and to know that mm -hmm. somebody is watching um, what is a very changing landscape uh, when it comes to medication assistance. Believe it or not, Joe, we are out of time. We could speak for hours, and in fact, we are next time because I want to tackle with you a major issue called 340B. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rachel and I would love to have someone from your company, even you, uh, to talk about uh, this program and its impact uh, to communities like Hillsdale and the potential uh, losses to communities like Hillsdale if the legislation is enacted, as has been pushed in the federal level, uh, to have major reform. And I'm going to call it reform. I like reform. Uh, we're going to call it uh, major hurt to hospitals. And so I would we'll, call it a rollback, a rollback, or maybe a gutting. Yeah, gutting. I like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, we're from the urban or from the uh, rural area, right? So mm -hmm. those urban folks yeah. don't probably know what a gutting of a deer is, but yeah. uh, that's where you take the entrails and all those little parts, and you just kind of shroom them. String about up the, that three forty B program yep, and get rid of all exactly the guts. That's exactly what you've done. You've gutted it. So <laughs> uh, good, good analogy, Rachel. But we could devote. And, and we have before an entire podcast episode to discussing this, and it's a hot topic right now. So we're not going to put you on the spot, but we do want to have you back, a member of your team or yourself, uh, back to talk about these things. And I really want to just uh, thank you for the program that you brought to Hillsdale Hospital. I encourage any of my colleagues across the country listening to this podcast, if you're considering uh, making an adjustment, uh, maybe you can't hire pharmacists individually and you're just struggling, call this company, a management company, but they're much more than that. They're about quality, patient satisfaction, patient safety, uh, ensuring that programs for self-funded programs of hospitals, you know, are maximized with programs for reimbursement. And the list goes on and on of things that they are doing uh, to help rural hospitals. 
uh, here in Hillsdale, Michigan, as well as across the country. So uh, I want to thank you again, uh, Joe, for being part of the podcast today. It's been great having you here, and, and we would just look forward to your return here in the very near future. Well, we definitely appreciate you know your support over the years, the partnership with Hillsdale Hospital, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, we we really do appreciate that, and and that's you know what we look to provide uh, as a partner. And before we close, uh, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And you're from you're in I shouldn't say you're from you you live in Dublin, Ohio. Is that correct? I do. Hilliard, yeah. Ohio. It's a suburb, but yeah, we're, we're right on the outside. We're right on the outside oh, of yeah. Columbus. So it's a Western, uh, Northwestern okay. suburb right. of Columbus, Ohio. All right. Very good. So, um, well, I guess what we want to know on Rural Health Rising here, and we ask each of our guests to share their experience, but what is your most unique rural experience or a memory that is specific to rural life that you remember? Wow. All right. So I'm going to try to, uh, I'm going to try to tell this story in a disciplined manner. Um, I actually grew up on the east side of Cleveland. Um, so I am a city boy. Um, and then I did go ahead and, and, um, you know, dedicate, uh, uh, the lion's share of my career to working with rural hospitals. Um, and I still remember, uh, being very, very excited, and getting the job as a regional director of clinical services and driving two and a half hours to get to a uh, fantastic rural hospital in Southern Ohio. Um, And I'm super excited to go to my first pharmacy and therapeutics committee meeting. And I've got the agenda and I've done everything that I need to do (laughs) from a a textbook perspective. I've researched all the stuff. Um, and my boss at the time is like, make sure you go to the pharmacy department and make sure they know who you are um, and, you know, chat them up a bit or whatever. So I go there and, and um, there's, you know, four or five pharmacists and, and we start talking um, and it's hunting season. So to go along with your, your analogy that you just uh, presented there <laughs> and uh, the one of them turns to me and says, do you hunt? And the other one says, Look at that tie. There is no way he's a hunter. And that's that's something that would always stick with me. I, I always think about it. And look, it's I mean, yeah. you can call it country mouse, city mouse, you can call it whatever you want, but the truth is, um, you know, they do things yeah. in San Francisco very differently than they do in, in New York. So it's about knowing your environment. It's about oh, sure. knowing the team. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. my my boss always says leadership is influence. So if you want to get the team around you to to work in the best way possible, you have to know what is important to them. Um, what barriers they might have uh, along any any capacity, and to be able to meet them where they're at, and um, as I said, to customize your approach. So, um, you know, when it's hunting season, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you go down there and and you do what you need to do, and and hopefully you're lucky enough um, to get some venison jerky or, or or something like that. Well, Joe, next time you're here, we're going to do two things. Number one, we're going to go snipe hunting, and you're really going to enjoy that, and uh, also cow tipping. So if you want to Google those two, uh, (laughs) you can do that, and we're going to treat you really, really nice here in Hillsdale County. So once again, it's great having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.